every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Josh Todd, CMO of MindBody, the leading technology platform for the wellness industry. Josh is a two-time CMO with 20 years of strategic and tactical experience in key marketing leadership positions, including eight years at Constant Contact, where he led an aggressive customer acquisition strategy that propelled the company from 50,000 to more than 600,000 customers. On this episode, Josh discusses how he's structured his marketing organization to serve the unique blend of MindBody's B2B and B2C product offerings, and the challenge of building a website that serves both sides of the market. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Josh Todd, CMO of MindBody, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios and the host of DGV. And we are joined today by special guest, Josh, how are you? I am well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to get going today. Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, excited to chat with you about MindBody, uh, a, a different kind of a company than, than we've had a bunch on this show. So really fascinating the way you look at, at uh, marketing for a two-sided marketplace like MindBody. So let's get into it. First, what was your first job in demand gen? Uh, first job in demand gen. Um, I mean, I, I was dabbling in demand gen in different forms back in the late 90s at a company called um, Lycos, if you go back that far. Um, and then from there into Staples. But really at Constant Contact was where I think um, you know, my formative years in um, in demand gen happened. I had a fantastic CMO named Nancy Freitas, who was a great uh, role model who really instilled the best practices of demand gen um, and made everything clear and kind of brought together all the things I thought I was doing before. And now I really understood what, what demand gen was. Well, and we always talk about on this show about like, you know, the folks who cut their teeth in those MarTech wars in the, uh, aughts, whatever it's called in <laughs> the 2010s. Um, yeah. Because it's so fascinating, just like what a crash course that so many of you got with marketing, marketing technology, the cutting edge of what was happening in marketing, and all of your different customers who were doing a bunch of really different things. Did you kind of feel that uh, a little bit in your time of Constant Contact? Yeah, it was an amazing time uh, at Constant Contact. I mean, you know, we're we're a SaaS software business uh, serving SMBs and really the you know the the solo entrepreneurs uh, in SMB and um, you know reaching them was taking dramatic shifts in the way that companies were trying to reach and grow their business and you know we were able to go into places that people thought you you couldn't actually drive demand from you know using uh, traditional radio as a direct response um, platform and really growing our business and creating a category around that, um, you know, on $15 a month for a product, it was 
things that weren't widely done. And there was a lot of companies experimenting in that space on from radio to TV, but it was very much a testing culture, leveraging all the data we had from the, um, you know, the dot-com boom and just bringing that all together in new and interesting ways. It was a really fun time, uh, really fun time to be uh, growing a business. And now this is another stint for you as a CMO now at MindBody. For listeners who don't know, can you share a little bit more about MindBody? Yeah, MindBody, at MindBody, our mission is to uh, connect the world to wellness, right? And how we do that is by helping boutique fitness studios, spas, salons run their business and grow their business. So that's everything from how they schedule classes, how they take a booking, you know, how they facilitate payments. Everything from their um, how they schedule their uh, teachers, uh, all of that on the B two B side is what MindBody does to help these boutique studios grow and thrive. And then the interesting thing is that we're, we are a two sided market, as you said earlier. We have an app where millions of consumers are engaging with those businesses every month, and so we look to drive more consumers in on the on the one side. And the more consumers we have, the more advantageous it is for the businesses to be on our platform, and the more businesses, the richer environment it is for our customers. So it truly is connecting the world to wellness. And it's fantastic to be at such a mission-driven company. Yeah, it's awesome. And um, and we can tell your passion uh, from the way that you talk about it. And we'll get into a little bit later here how important of a mission it is uh, that you all are doing. So let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? This is the place where we can go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. Tell me a little bit about MindBody. Tell me a little bit about the market that you're serving. Who are your customers? You know, you mentioned some of those personas. It seems like there's a million different personas that you could have on the B2B side that someone could be buying. But how do you think about, uh, you know, breaking up those, uh, those prospects and customers? Yeah, so you know it is a lot of surface area to cover. So I think just you know starting at a vertical level, it's your spas, salons, integrative health, all kinds of new cutting edge ways for people to find wellness. Whether that's you know different types of uh, cupping or um, all these different things. The Olympics made that popular uh, to your traditional yoga studio, and so all these different businesses come together. And what we find is there are hobbyists. And then there are people who are who have come into this because they had a passion about the service that they're providing. They might not have uh, the business acumen, but they have the passion all over the place. So that's the lower side of our market where we really have to help these businesses, educate them, help them uh, learn how to run, how to price, how to take that passion and turn it into you know, a revenue generating model that can keep them in business and allow them to keep doing what they do. But on the other side, we have you know, what we would call strategic accounts or more enterprise level, your Orange Theories, your F45s. These are really large wellness companies with hundreds and sometimes thousands of locations. And so those are two very different animals that we serve. And when we look at who we're trying to reach on the smaller side, you know, you're probably talking to the owner all the way up to the bigger side. We may be talking to a, a CTO, and that's more of a traditional enterprise type selling motion. And so we really run the gamut across both all those verticals, and then the different size businesses that engage with them. So, you know, having a two-sided marketplace, having an app with millions of people on it, a great thing for every marketer to have, but clearly the the muscles that you need to be able to flex to do that type of marketing versus enterprise B2B are very different. So how do you look at building uh, your marketing team? 
the way we think about building our marketing is we, we start on the B2B side with our customer at the core. And so the most mature part of MindBody's marketing org is all based around the buyer's journey and going from how are they first introduced to us all the way through to when they take action and then continuing that relationship beyond to keep them loyal. Now, what we find is that the consumer side of the business engages with the B2B side of the business all along. From the beginning, we'll draw in more people because we have the consumer side and they know they can reach those consumers. So the way we've had to structure the marketing org is with dedicated uh, experts, both on the consumer side and on the B2B side, and really two kind of main functions there. One is the acquisition side, the other is the engagement side. And that works both on the consumer side and the B2B side. And then there's all the shared resources that support both sides. That's your creative team, your Marcom team, our content, our PR, our events. They have to serve uh, both sides of the business. And it it has been a challenge for us. And really getting focused has been uh, the key to our success is understanding what is the ultimate benefit to the organization so that we can make intelligent trade-offs about where we're going to flex our muscle because we definitely have limited resources. um, And I think that really helps us focus because, you know, strategy is saying no. And the things that we say no to um, help refine and define the things that we're saying yes to. That's pretty brutal. Uh, I could imagine that, you know, on the one side, um, you know, running a campaign to acquire new users to, to the app versus, you know, running a campaign to acquire to do account-based marketing on the enterprise side that, you know, having to choose one or the other is, uh, is, uh, a flip a coin, uh, <laughs> a brutal endeavor, unless you're putting in a lot of work on the strategy side, like you said. Yeah. I, I mean, I can give you an example, um, kind of pre pandemic, we had been testing locally, this kind of surround sound, uh, uh, programs to go after consumers. So, you know, Advertising on podcasts, uh, radio, TV, heavy digital, heavy social, really a true multimedia surround uh, campaign to go after consumers. And so we were launching that through 2019. And when we were doing that in local markets, um, you know, we were watching all of our KPIs around consumer and, and trying to get a good understanding of, um, you know, which levers to pull with variations in different markets. But what we found was that the campaigns were more than paying for themselves with the B2B business that was driven in those markets. So while all the messaging and everything was focused on consumers, we were actually seeing the biggest benefit of the businesses coming in. And that was a surprise to us. It was a, it was a great surprise because the LTV of our um, B2B customers is so much higher um, than a consumer. You can think about a consumer, you know, I, I'm sure you, I know myself, how hard it is um, to stay engaged in, in a fitness routine and how many times people are, are coming in and dropping out. So that, that insight of understanding that we were creating, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out with the B2B businesses. Um, and the fact that when they saw us advertising, they were able to make that connection meant that we didn't have to make that connection as directly for them. And we could really go spearfishing with some really targeted, you know, it's a, you know, broad-based ABM, closer to direct mail than, than ABM in some ways. But, but that was really a huge breakthrough for us in a way that we found we could drive both sides of the market with the same intent and effort put into play. Yeah, it's an interesting... Um interesting little case study there because, you know, it's such a tough thing to say, Hey, we have a bunch of named accounts that we're going after and we're going to spend money on radio and, and, uh, you know, podcasts and direct mail or whatever. And you, you'd say, I'm just flushing money down the toilet. I don't, I don't know if those people are there, but, um, but yet, you know, a lot of that stuff worked before we had the internet. So, (laughs) so, you know, then what happens? 
you know, to, to that point, though, I mean, if, if you can set up your, your test in such a way and you're never going to get a truly clean environment where you can have the perfect A-B test. But we hadn't done really that kind of incorporate that kind of mass media. So we, we did have a pretty clean slate and we would go city by city and really have a bunch of sister cities. You know, we'd run media in three cities and we'd have three comparison cities that we'd, we'd match it up against. And well, yes, you don't know exactly which parts we get the broad strokes of what's working. And then how can we continue to apply that going forward? So like, I mean, I don't know, as a marketer, like for me, that that's the most fun thing to be doing is, is testing these different media mixes in local markets with, um, you know, uh, reliable uh, control markets and really trying to get that kind of trying to find the science in the art um, is, is just, you know, it's, it's really fun. Yeah. So I'm curious if when you, when you're doing things like that and you're sending people back to somewhere like let's just say you're sending people back to the app that's not the place that you would want to send you know someone who's the you know running a yoga studio right like you don't want them to go to the app you want them to go to you know your website you want them to be on the on the page where they can buy on you know mindbodyonline.com business i'd imagine right Yep. Well, our website, it's, you know, it's a challenge um, serving both sides of the market. And we look at some of the, the, the ones who are doing it really well, the Airbnbs, Uber, Lyft, like the, the way they, many of them are either oriented to kind of the consumer side first or the B2B side and others have done a split. I don't think we're done with this journey yet. And we have a bunch of testing to come. Uh, but right now we have a split homepage. It's a little bit jarring. I love it. I was going to ask you. I think it's red. Yeah, it's. A, I've, I don't know. I, <laughs> you know, we're we're trying to um, now. Obviously, a lot of our traffic isn't going to come in through through that door. You know, there's all of the um, search activity that we're doing. All those things are driving people deeper into the site, which is the the place where the majority of our visitors do come from. But that split page allows us to tell a lot of stories, right? Because when you come to that page, even if you are a business owner, you see the consumer side right in your face. And all those little touch points and those experiences, they help us carry that message forward. It's all the touches. I'm personally not a strong, uh, as strong a believer in kind of using some of that media with like a direct response call to action. Like go to you know this exact URL and do this. I mean, if you have a really strong offer, you may be able to get away with that. But through uh, constant contact, through mind body. I've found that I needed to use more indirect ways of measuring the impact as opposed to that like true call to action with a vanity URL that gets people in. People just never do what you want. And even if you're doing some mathematics to figure out, okay, uh, only uh, only 5% or whatever are actually going to do what I say so I can take um, th- this higher level. For me, I, I just have found that it's it's kind of like a false sense of precision. And I like to go with the market comparisons. I was going to bring this up a little later, but it's great to talk about now. I think that the the split website is really cool because of how clean the delineation is uh, visually, like on a desktop for our listeners, you can just go to mindbodyonline.com and check it out. Super clear calls to action, super clear, like with the H1, you know, what the value prop of each thing is. And, you know, one size says for everyone and the other says for business owners and mind body business is in a different, uh, you know, the logo is in different coloring. I think it's pretty slick. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I was going to say, I was, I wonder how well that that sort of thing works because, um, uh, cause it is, it is, you know, visually very simple and elegant. Yeah, and that's that's what it's meant to be because the person who's coming, you know, who's who's direct naving or or you know 
even coming through on a branded term, you know, they're likely going to end up in the B2, on the B2B side. And the B2C side, you can think about how does somebody find that? Exactly. Which, you yep. know, like really two main ways. One is, and this is like, this is the best part of MindBody, is that our customers are our, one of our biggest sources of getting new users in. They're telling their users to come and download the app. And then they're coming in and they're able to book uh, with with those businesses, and it creates a really nice nice demand gen tool. But that that site where you know that if you don't know kind of who MindBody is and you end up on that first page, that was our goal was just to be like as use as few words as possible. And we, I mean, we, we spent so much time just going back over that, like nope, less, nope, less. That's confusing and testing and trying to figure out how do we get people to the right place. Because uh, like everybody knows, right, the less you do, the less you're trying, the fewer words you're trying to get across is the most difficult. And so I, I, I thank you for, uh, for the, the nice feedback, but I see it as, you know, definitely a work in progress and, and something that we're constantly looking to push for. And we'll use like the, over the last six months, you know, we worked virtual in there because that's a, a place where we wanted to start seeding for our B2B businesses because our customers log in through that screen a lot from that page. And so we want them to see, oh, we're pushing virtual to our um, consumer side of the business. Are you set up for virtual on the B2B side of your business? And all those little subtle touch points um, add up to helping our customers understanding what they can do with the platform. So as you're thinking about enterprise um, and, you know, aligning your team around, around, enterprise specifically like you said those are those are not going to be a business owner that's a that's a much more traditional kind of software play like you said a cto or a cio is going to be involved it department whatever i'd imagine your sales team that's also a very different value proposition how do you work with sales in that kind of relationship yeah and it, this has been really a, a a new muscle for us over the developing it over the past two years and i mean you know if i look at some of the things that didn't didn't go great for us was when we were, you know, we were dressing up direct mail as account-based marketing, right? We were just sending direct mail to people and calling it account-based marketing, but we had no true connection to the sales org or even the individual personal nature of the buyer. So now where we where we are, we take pains to make sure we understand the individual who we're trying to sell to on the other side. Luckily, this is, you know, it's a it's a pretty contained market. We know who our top hundred, you know, enterprise uh, accounts are, and we know who the players are there, and we've talked to them, or they may have been a past customer of ours. So we know who these people are, and and so what we've really focused on is hiring marketers who truly understand what the one-to-one personal touch looks like. And I mean, they are just great at going in and understanding what do they care about, what do they like, and how do I find a creative way to break through that's aligned with our our um, our vision, our messaging for how we can support them. And then having that directly connected to the sales team so that they are having talking the same language. And this was this was something that we did not do well, I would say, uh, you know, a year ago. But now we're really starting to see the benefits of that true connection uh, between sales and marketing. And uh, those teams, I don't think they would even say the marketers are on the marketing team. And the sales, that, that's really one, you know, again, we call strategic accounts, but really one enterprise team, because there's no outreach that happens without, um, you know, a, a sales, a sales and marketing partnership that goes along. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. I'm curious, you know, as, as you, as you're attacking kind of that, that enterprise, um, level buyer, 
are some of the plays that you're running like very traditional kind of enterprise sort of plays like the, you know, webinars and things, you know, that like, you know, events and kind of the more demand gen type of, you know, functions in that way. Cause I'd imagine, you know, you're never going to do obviously any of that sort of stuff for your, for some of the, the smaller, maybe more SMB customers and, and obviously definitely not on the other side of the market. Yeah, I, mean, I think what we're doing is we're trying to create experiences for them. Webinars, you know, it's it's made less sense. Now, we'll, we'll bring some of our enterprise customers together to share best practices in non-competing ways. And that's been really great for our existing customers and to help them continue to expand what they're doing and, and elevate how they see MindBody as a, a true partner. But for new business, um, you know, it, it's less about trade shows. Now, we might identify, you know, five to eight prospects and understand that they're going to an event already. And then we will run really high touch events off the side of those events, because that's the best way. Like we have this concept of kind of inflow, right? So how do you stay in flow with, with our prospects and with our customers? If they're already going there, then let's go there and make it really easy for them to engage with us. Um, and so, you know, we, we kind of think of it, there's like three ways for us to, to do this across everything we do. There's like inception marketing, and this is like where we're laying that groundwork out there. It's thought leadership We're you know, we're, we're showing up in, in your, you know, trusted publications. We're incepting this idea of mind body and what we can do in flow. We're showing up where you are, whether it's answering a question in search or showing up an event that you're already at. And then finally, there's interruption where you weren't really looking for us. And some of our advertising falls into, into that area. But what we're trying to do is strategic accounts is just get in flow with them, go where they are, remove any barriers and any resistance. And then we can have a conversation about how we can help their business. I love that inception in flow and, uh, an interruption. And you want to do the last one as little as possible. Um, exactly. They get, gosh, is that, did you beg by and steal that? Or did you come up with that on your own? I love that. So I, I I never know where ideas came from, but um, we think that's originally uh, our way of looking at it. But I'm sure there are other people who look at things in a similar way. But it just it, kind of if you go back to like even like at a higher level, like how, how do we think about marketing strategy? We, we try to like keep things as simple as possible. Like we look at that that buyer's journey, awareness, interest, desire, action. It may feel old. It may feel too simplistic. But what it does is it creates a common language for the marketing org and the rest of the org. Now we're you know we're twelve you know twelve hundred employees and you can't expect these you know really uh, you know uh, these beautiful but complex ways of explaining what marketing does and how it supports the org. If we orient it to the the customer journey, if we keep what we're trying to do simple and straightforward, we can actually stay out of our own way. We can bring the org in, and now you start getting ideas from all other places because you've made kind of marketing theory, if you want to call that accessible. And so breaking it down to that kind of, you know, inception and flow and interruption also helps people understand within our company, which is just as important as um, externally is to get them to understand what we're doing, value it, and be able to contribute in a way um, because there are great ideas everywhere. You know, marketing, like the, the, <laughs> there's a couple, of, there's a lot of hard parts of marketing, but one is like everybody feels like they're a marketer. Um, but like anything, the closer you get to it, the more you understand like this is, wow, this is, a, this is a science. This is an art. This is every little part of it. If you go all in, it's super complex. And so the more we can simplify that and broaden the conversation, we feel like the more smart people we get engaging and coming up with great ideas. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. 
This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. Josh, what are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Uh, What a timely question, because uh, over the last year, we actually got to experiment with what would you not cut? So when you think, you know, boutique fitness, spas, salons, right? These are high touch in-person businesses. Uh, You know, a a group of sweaty people in a hot yoga studio was not the thing you wanted to be doing for the majority of 2020. And so, you know, our industry took a hard hit. And with that, we had to take a look at where are we spending money? What are we doing? And we did it aggressively out of the gate because we didn't know how bad it would be. Cut to the end, it, it was actually a lot better than we thought it was going to be, but still very difficult for our business and for our customers' business. So we went back, basically back to like a zero-based budget and we said, okay, what if you spend nothing? That's where we're going to start from. Now, what do you want to do? And like, you know, anybody's going to tell you that it's, you know, search is going to be like that first thing, because if there's demand out there, you better be capturing whatever that demand is. So that was clearly the, the first thing that we did was put that back in. The next one was content, because in this time, we needed our content and thought leadership to work really hard for us and to feed our search, right? So search can operate to some degree effectively on its own, but it only really works if you're also feeding it. I like to think of, uh, you know, you're, you're fishing in a pond, right? Like, you know, sure, you can catch fish, um, but why not stock that pond with a ton of fish? Then fishing is going to be a lot easier. And because you put them in there, it's going to, you're going to have a, um, you know, an advantage on your ability to get them out. And the final one is, was our, our enterprise motion with a true account based marketing once we actually figured out how to do it for real. And uh, the reason why that was so important for us, especially in this last year was because the, the strategic businesses, they had enough cash to make it through the crisis. And during that time, they were evaluating what's best. For, are they running their business as effectively as possible? So we found that our ability to reach out to them was really effective. So it really went search is the first dollars out in the market. Content and I would say website are the next two because you know they're interconnected and they give us the ability to get all the great earned and owned coverage that we want to stock the pond. And then strategic accounts is a discrete motion, making sure we're in that timely conversation. And so that those would be the the three kind of tactical uh, things that we, I always wanted to go like, what if we did nothing, what would happen? Well, we, we know we had to do something because doing nothing did have a, a significant, um, you know, kind of depression on our, our demand gen. And as we ramped up, you could really see, I added this, here's what I got. So for me, it was, um, uh, of course, like not to, um, you know, say anything for how horrible the pandemic was, but just on the kind of, what can a marketer learn? There were amazing opportunities to learn about which marketing channels are most effective. Yeah, I think, wasn't it, um, I think Airbnb, I think Brian Chesky has talked about how they think they, they cut marketing 100% or something like that during the pandemic. And it's like, that's like one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, maybe we could cut marketing 100%. It's like, well, but Airbnb seeded the marketplace with billions of dollars of marketing over the previous decade uh, or however many years, seven years, to make sure that, you knew exactly once you go back on vacation that uh, you're going to be going back to using Airbnb again. Yeah, little different for for a different type of a company. Um, but what's funny though is I don't know if you've seen this. This is a, as tangential here, but I've seen VRBO advertising recently a bunch at me. Oh yeah, you know that's like, and I think they're doing like TV spots now and a bunch of stuff. And it, it's one of those things you you see that and you think. 
maybe there was an opportunity there to win back market share when you know someone else hits the pause button and you can say, hey, when that first trip gets booked, it's going to be us this time. You're, you're so right. I mean, because you think about it, a lot of, like you just said, a lot of what Airbnb was able to take advantage of was all of that work they did in the past. Now, if you stop doing that work, you know, that, that's, that can start to erode. They're always going to be in the consideration set, but it does leave the door open for a competitor to come in and start to, um, and start to leverage all that category creation work that you did and establish themselves and, and uh, likely take, take some decent share. So I think, you know, from the um, SEO, SEM perspective, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I know one of the things that, you know, content really during the pandemic was a lot of people trying to help their customers navigate the pandemic. And was this basically complete blank slate. It couldn't have been on anyone's content calendar. Nobody knew anything about this. Nobody was writing anything that had any idea what this was going to be. So content teams were truly at square one with everybody else. But coming out of that, then the world now has changed again. What, what has been your content strategy through the pandemic? And when, most importantly, what is it now? That mirrors what we saw. I mean, we saw a, a surge in web traffic. There was a, a pretty big void. And we, we have more resources than a lot of our competitors. So we were able to very quickly pivot, focus, do research where needed, provide the market with what they needed in the moment, which was information on um, how to keep a studio clean. Uh, what are the mask rules? What's going on in your local market? What are other businesses doing? So we were able to really quickly get that information to market. At the same time, our product was innovating and bringing a virtual offering to market so that we had a solution that was ready for the need in the market. So we were able to give a lot of best practices and thought leadership on what can they do to be driving revenue to survive right now? What's going on with government loans? What's going on with regulation? So we were able to share all of that as well as how other businesses were succeeding and what they were doing to thrive. Now, go through the year, we saw that start to drop off. As different markets reopened, there was less interest in content because especially these small business owners, they had to get back to running their business. They weren't about like, there was no longer about like, oh, I have this downtime. What am I going to do? And I'm, you know, I, I, I gotta, I'm going to consume all this content to make me feel better. Then they, they, we saw our content numbers start to drop off towards the end of the year. They came back up. It, it, it mirrors the, um, the lockdowns across the country and across the globe. And now what we're seeing is people are in full get, you know, focus on reopening mode. So things like webinars, which were hugely popular for us last year in Q2, are a fraction of what they were in terms of attendance right now. People don't have that dedicated time. Where are they shifting to? Much more snackable content, whether that's blogs, social, customer testimonials, and what other people are doing is always hot. Short videos, like it's just the 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 um, if you know if you think about getting in flow again, like what what are our what are our customers doing? What are prospects doing? And what they're doing is they're trying to keep their doors open. So. Shorter is better right now for us. And we see engagement um, when we meet them where they are, as opposed to trying to, oh, we, we love webinars. They used to work. Let's just keep jamming them down their throat because they, they don't want those right now. So fascinating, right? I talk about this idea of like the content calendar being this this terrible thing that you know we, we subscribe to as marketers because it makes, makes it easier on our life. But the person who's reading doesn't actually care. And it was so interesting is what you're talking about is like, it's being written in real time, what you should be creating at any given time. And you have to react so quickly to be able to say, oh, shoot, they, they don't care about 
you know, studio cleanliness as much right this second. They need to get back to how do I get virtual butts and seats right now, like tomorrow? How do I, you know, how do you create an offer that's like, you know, sign up, you know, we waive your, we waive your, your fee, you know, if you sign it to your contract, you know, stuff like the, like those things, like how to be creative, how to sell faster, how to do those things. And you're like, and you got to feed that back into your team to be able to crank it out. Well, I would say my team feeds that back into me, right? So like they're constantly trying to find ways to adapt. And and if anything, it's made, you know, everybody is battle tested now for their ability to pivot, to move quickly and to figure out what's going on. And those are going to be skills that will um, serve the teams that were on the ground during this time really well for the rest of their career. You know, right now we were just figuring out like, what's the balance of people wearing a mask that we can have in any of our creative. So what we started seeing was when we have a mask, we saw our click-through rates, like right at the front, we saw our click-through rates start to go down. Demand gen team funnels that back to creative. They now have better connections between those teams than we had pre-pandemic. And so now that message gets right back to the creative team and we're finding ways to get imagery that matches where the market is. You know, these some of these polarizing ones like masks have been a, a very difficult place for us to navigate because they you know, masks being so uh, polarizing and trying to figure out where the market is, when do we use, when do we not use, how do we create comfort in an in a uncomfortable situation for all of our prospects and customers? You know, as, as we start to go back to some level of, of normalcy here, did you find that these new types of campaigns, you know, as, as I was kind of mentioning, getting back to a little bit more traditional, like, how do I save you time? How do I save you money? How do I get you more customers? How do I help you build deeper relationships? Is that kind of where the mindset is right now? We're really trying to create campaigns focused on that customer need. So, you know, we were heavily in um, hybrid where the, you know, Q1 and, and a good part of Q2, our core message was told through the lens of the need for a hybrid business. You had to have both virtual offerings, as well as when things started opening up in person. Now, because capacity has been limited, they've needed to, to maintain both. And what we've found is that things like on-demand create new entrance points for members to join these studios. And so that's the kind of information we're pushing now. So we're, we're not pushing hybrid as much. All of our messaging now as we head into Q3 you know, it's really focused on how do we make sure that you're reopening somebody on the creative team will find better words, but whatever the right words to say new new normal is, because it's not the same as it was before. And we have to help these businesses navigate it. So it's really around like how to reopen post pandemic. And so we start at that level. That's where our messaging starts. Now we're going to deliver how are you going to grow all those other things, but they're in the flavor of that thing that matters most to the business. And when, you know, we were talking about the challenge before of staying agile versus a content calendar and like, oh man, we feel it. Like I feel it this week. I feel it last week as we're going through our prioritization, the team's like, you know, how are we going to, you know, we got to stay nimble and and we can't lock into this. And so we started creating swim lanes um, within our workflows where people have free time to always be working on whatever is going to come up, especially the content team, because they can't just work in, you know, two months, you know, a quarter, they got to work in what's hot this week. What, what are we putting on social? Where are we at? What matters? And so that, that's been a change to the way we work, which I welcome. Yeah. I, I feel like I need to write a, a blog post or maybe do an episode of, of DGV about like the, uh, 
SNL marketing, where it's like, you have to do your marketing like Saturday Night Live does it, right? It's like, you know, Wednesday late working night, uh, you know, drafts of the sketches, all that sort of stuff, and then go live the next week, because it just seems like that's, that's the pace now. I, you know, I find it so interesting that you had this, um, this virtual wellness, hybrid, you know, whatever's, what's next, it seems like between, and you know, maybe this is just what, what, what I see every day, but it seems like this idea of wellness has been now explored for the first time, really where like, you know, mental well-being, people talking about you with um, Naomi Osaka, you know, uh, stepping down from the tournament recently, like, it just seems like so much more is on the table in terms of discussing these things having your your mental health, your physical health, your well-being, your wellness, it kind of feels like this is all in flux right now. And I'm curious, like, how do you think about putting that into your marketing and as a company that is, you know, mission mission driven on wellness? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's right in our sweet spot. And we think about, you know, the seven dimensions of wellness. You have, you know, you have the spiritual side, you have, there's a financial side to wellness. There's mental wellness, there's physical wellness, all of these things come together, um, you know, to kind of make a whole person. And the other thing I think we're learning right now is like, you got to also cut yourself some slack. So if you're, you know, if you're really concentrating and focusing in on all the dimensions of wellness, I think what you'll find is you start to do really well in some and you start to lack in others. And then you got to get back to the social element. And then your fitness starts to go out because it's so much for any one person to constantly stay on top of it. But I think that's the journey of wellness. And the more we become aware that, oh, wait a second, I'm on edge, I'm acting odd and starting to trace that back to like, well, something is not healthy in another part of of my uh, dimensions of wellness. I need to focus more there. That ultimately leads us to be, like our mission says, you know, happier and healthier because that's what we're trying to do. And it only happens when you get there and we're continuing to expand all the different, how we serve all those different dimensions of wellness through our product, through our offerings, through who we show up for socially. And so the, yeah, I think, I think, you know, there's, there's kind of a wellness imperative that's happening right now where, you know, during the pandemic, you know, underlying conditions, places where people were unwell against any of those dimensions really came to light either for how they were living personally or their physical wellness, you know, who was um, getting sick from COVID. So, I, I mean, I think coming out of this, you know, that, I hope is is one of the lasting changes, which will be great, is if people can focus more in on the dimensions of wellness, their personal wellness, understanding that balance, and really spending the time and doing the work to focus on it. That would be an amazing change, I think, for our society and for the world. Well, you know, and I think when you are a leader at one of those enterprise accounts that you're talking about, when you have 100 locations, 1,000 locations, 15 locations, something like that, I'd imagine that those people are really trying to figure out what's next and how to continue to serve their customers, right? And obviously, you know, you have a solution that helps them serve those people and you have an app that serves millions of people, but I'd imagine that they're a little bit lost at sea right now to say like what is the next evolution of our company, of our customer experience and how do we fix that? And I'm curious like are you thinking about campaigns for those folks to try to get, you know, because those people are, they're a professional sitting, you know, in a big company potentially, or, you know, big to medium sized company, enterprise type company, and trying to figure out like, I want to get better at my job this year. And, and that's a very, it's a very B2B centric sort of a, uh, an emotion um, and reaction. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, what we see from some of our top enterprise customers is this big look forward. So like the, the roaring 20s is something that we talk about. If you go back 100 years, yeah, sure. The, the roaring 20s, you know, had its wild side, but it also was there was a wellness revolution that happened. The social engagement, the social interactions, there was a wellness revolution that started then as well. And now we look now and as people are coming back, a lot of these businesses see that same kind of social engagement interaction coming in a big way over the next several years and decades. So I think what we're seeing is they're looking and saying, how do I expand? How do I expand faster? than my competitors? How do I maintain the great experience that's working at 100 locations, at 1,000 locations, at 10 locations, at 20 locations? Because the experience, and, and this is not, this is where I'm, I'm super passionate about it, but I'll, I'll finish this thought and then we can get into kind of the wellness experience. But those enterprise businesses, a lot of businesses sadly closed. There aren't as many offerings out in the market as there were pre-pandemic. That's, that's just a fact. But there are as many, if not more, of the consumers there. So where are they going to go? The consumers that were already engaged in boutique fitness before are looking for a new home right now. And these big strategic accounts have the dollars to go and say, we want to be where they go. What does our footprint look like? Um, and these are also things that, that we help them with. We can see where are these millions of consumers? Where are they going? Where do they congregate? What makes a great next location? And so we look to try to help our customers with that kind of information. But they're looking to expand. They're looking to expand as much as possible and, and maintain that that tight experience. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, we saw people putting um, devices in their houses. Obviously, there's you know people having wearables for a number of years now, but now people are doing that. And we were all staring at our, our iPhones or our wearable all year going, my goodness, I am not getting, I haven't got my steps in in a year and wanting to get out and, and go go on, you know, walks and hikes and go to the gym and get back to the, that level of normal. What, what do you see um, that looking like? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, so if, if it was, you know, pre-pandemic, the kind of virtual world, the at-home world was there and and thriving. You know, if we think about it on kind of an adoption curve, it was a little bit earlier. You know, certain people were adopting it. It was growing. And then, you know, just like Zoom, you got your Pelotons, all these companies exploded because everybody had to be home and it really accelerated that curve. And we saw that with, with our customers where like they weren't fully ready for what it takes to really put a great experience and translate that in-person experience online. So I think some of the experience is still early for like boutique studios and it's going to only get better over time. But I think what we've done is we've just really accelerated the curve to a much more multifaceted way to get kind of fitness if we think specifically about about fitness. I, I see a future where you have a combination of at home and in person. There are certain teachers and there are certain classes that people are always going to want to go to and experience because it's not just about the thing that they're doing. It's who they're doing it with. Now, a lot of these virtual platforms do a good job of that, but there's still something that being in person will always pay a critical role. And these businesses are going to continue to improve, especially boutique fitness, improve that experience they deliver online. And as they do, think about, you know, oh, I slept a little late. Um, I can't make it to the class and work. I can, I can take a live streaming, the same class. I can stream it from my house. I get to, not the way I'd want to be there, but I can be there. It's cold out. It's winter. It's dark. I don't want to do it. So now you can augment your wellness in these ways, which I think ultimately helps more of us stick to a routine. You know, personally, I've loved uh, virtual 
you know, not having a commute, like all these little things have made it just so much easier for me to, um, I was always, you know, on the path, but it's just made it even easier for me to keep a, a steady routine and create that that kind of combination that keeps me engaged and excited. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, as a marketer, you see those things and you look at how many people need support to figure out augmented, right? Like how many people are going to have Thanksgiving dinner this year with a laptop for, you know, uncle, you know, whatever, and aunt and whatever, you know, how many people are going to have like augmented everything now with like some sort of digital representation of, of people. And you're right. It's like, if you're a, if you're a gym owner, You've never in a million years thought about why you would have, you know, laptops sitting or being able to live stream anything, right? right? And now that's, I mean, non-negotiable, right? I mean, pretty much have to be able to do it. So, yeah, I mean, as a marketer, it's like there's so much, there's so many opportunities to be able to, uh, to, you know, both like inspire and excite people for what's next, but also teach them how to do things. Yeah, there, there was, you know, if we if we go back a little bit to kind of how these things affect brand and you know th- there's demand gen is you know enhanced by really strong brand campaigns and can really get that full funnel going we spent some time really digging into our brand and taking a hard look at ourselves and what we found was a lot of people saw mind body as like kind of a booking utility okay you guys do a good job of and this wasn't everybody but you know you always take the harshest criticism and bring that to life you know you know if, okay if we're a booking utility where's the passion where's the soul in that and so we did a lot of brand work to go in and dig and say okay let's let's make sure we understand who we are and and the insight that we came up with was that experience was at the center of everything that made our customers successful it was why we existed that moment where a studio owners vision, passion, their soul is manifest in that moment is the creation of an experience that is then consumed by, by a consumer who, uh, whose life may be changed by it. And that sounds big and you know, a little over the top, but we hear stories about you know, people going through chemotherapy who uh, will come back and this is their first class and how, how important it was for them to get back. And these are real stories that we hear from our customers, but the magic is the experience. That's why they got in it. That's why people come back to them. That's why they succeed. That's why boutique studios win. So we shifted from our, our brand messaging from this um, you know, booking utility, which is just like super sad to me, to experience technology. So experience technologies, that's what, that's what our product does. That's what we're trying to do is really enable these amazing experiences that are hard of connecting wellness. And then right now, what we are is wellness experience technology. But any kind of good brand work opens up experience technology for the the future of where we could expand and how we could take experience at the core of what we do. And so this pandemic also brought to light how if we keep experience at the core of all of our messaging of how we talk to our customers, like you could think of a, a sales call where, you know, we set up a demo and they're like, hey, you know, I checked you out online. Tell me about your business. A little bit flat, right? It's not going to work. But if, if they get into, tell me what it feels like to walk into your studio, you unlock the passion of that business owner. And now you're in a totally different conversation about how they're changing people's lives. And we see our conversion rates improve when those conversations go to somebody's passion. And so, you know, thinking about virtual and thinking about the the future of experience, that's where I think the the magic is for us in our messaging and in the way we go to market. Yeah, I love it. I, I think of it like, um, you know, if you have two dentists, there's a really good one and a really bad one. And the good dentist has a horrible digital customer experience and the bad dentist has a really 
awesome digital customer experience, guess whose customer's teeth are going to get cleaned every uh, every six months? It's the one with the the good digital experience because they're going to get reminders that all of their people are going to come in. They're going to be booked on time. They're going to be scheduled on time. And the good and the good dentist is uh, is at the end of the day just not going to have that stuff. And I think that so many people focus on being the good dentist and 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 put no work into you know their their processes. Totally. Yeah, outcome oriented. I'm not speaking from experience there. Um, <laughs> okay, let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly. As we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. Josh, have you had a memorable dust up in your career? I mean, you know, of of course, you know, throughout a career that's long enough, you're going to run into that because people are passionate. I assume you want me to tell you more about that. Oh, I mean, you know, you you can you can. I could do with, question and answer with myself as well. You can you can withhold the the identity uh, to keep them safe, or sure. uh, or you can. Uh, well, like you know, it's it's really about breaking it down, right? So. Um, at the core of any kind of conflict that happens like that, you know, assuming, you know, uh, good actors, right. And, and that people are, are really trying to improve things. I see a, a challenge, a complaint or conflict as, you know, that means somebody cares. They care about the outcome and the conflict for, at least in, in my career, most of those stem from the fact that there's asymmetrical information on both sides. You know, a lot about something, somebody else might know a lot about something else. And then you can create this tension because you can both think you're right about something, but you're talking past each other. So for me, it's always, you know, it's it's finding a way to take a step back, recognizing the fact that there are, start with there are good intentions on the other side. I always have to believe there are good intentions on the other side. Then seek to understand and ask questions and understand where, because there's a disconnect. And then, you know, as you start to sort things out, and maybe you've gotten to the place where you actually recognize that it's just two valid ideas and, and you, you both, you know, know uh, enough about what you're talking about to potentially be right. I try to find a way to concede a portion to give something for the greater good. And, and um, there's a lot of paths to resolution, but I think just, you know, putting up a wall is, is really not one of them. And I have not found a challenge or a conflict that we haven't been able to work through by trying to just come with calmer heads and seek to understand. Okay, let's get to our final segment, quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like conversational marketing with qualified Qualified prospects are on your website right now, and you can talk to them quickly by going to qualified.com. Quick and easy, just like these questions. We love Qualified. They're the best. I've said this story before. My CMO pal did a bake-off between Qualified and a competitor, and Qualified crushed them. Go check out Qualified. We love them. And uh, if people are on your site, which we know they are, uh, you're going to sell to them way faster with Qualified. Quick questions, quick hits. Josh, are you ready? Let's do it. Number one, is there one class that you've been taking that's your favorite uh, what's, uh, of, of, uh, or one that you would recommend people take? So I, I, my wife is a teacher, so I should probably say uh, one of hers. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think the finding a teacher that you like 
and then taking classes from them in modalities that you may not have experienced before. Um, and I'll say that because bar is not something I would have thought I would have liked, but I love my wife and I took her bar class because I've, she usually teaches yoga and spin and those are easy ones for me, but going out of my comfort zone, but having some trust there with, with, the, with that teacher, I think that's a great way to continue to experiment. I love that. What's your thing that you've been listening to, reading, watching, whether it's a book or podcast or TV show? Uh, so I, I listen to a you know a bunch of different podcasts when I'm running. I also like to get outside of you know kind of the the business world. And Hidden Brain is one that I really like because it um, it always gives me some interesting tidbit about psychology and human nature, and it's uh, just done in such a such a good way. So I like to stay outside of maybe business books and business podcasts and find inspiration to pull into the discipline from outside. If you weren't in marketing at all, what do you think you'd be doing? I don't know if this one will be uh, as popular, but it, I, I, mean, I, I like manual labor. I like mowing lawns. I was a, a stonemason for a while. I find in marketing and in business, you're almost never done. There's no like job that's finished and you move on from it. But if you're mowing a lawn or if you're you know, snow plowing a driveway or building a wall, you can complete it and you can see it and it's there. And um, I get really fulfilled by those simple things. So uh, I think I think that's what I'd be doing. What's your one piece of advice for a CMO trying to figure out their demand gen strategy? I, I mean, it always starts with, with, with your customers, knowing your customers. Where do they go? Where do they hang out? Live with them. Understand everything about what's uh, similar uh, between them and what's different uh, about them from another market. But it all starts with knowing the customer and talking to the customer. That's how you, uh, and prospects too, don't get lost in just the people who have already said yes. Um, but it's it's all about understanding what makes them tick because there's no one strategy in marketing that's going to work for everybody. Josh, that's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much for joining. It was awesome having you on the show. Great advice for our listeners. Go check out MindBody, get the app. And if you know somebody who has a you know a spa or a salon or fitness place, uh, send them to mindbodyonline.com. Josh, any, any final thoughts, anything to plug? Well, first, th- thank you. Th- thoroughly enjoyed the time here today and um, appreciate the conversation and, and uh, the information that you're getting out there. The one thing I'd plug is just these studios, these spas, these salons, these are small business owners. They're really trying to get back on their feet. So the thing I would plug is like, go out, support those local businesses, do something that's good for you, find a way to bring wellness into your world and know that supporting those small businesses, that those are the some of the best people in the world because their their passion is in the right place. And so uh, I just wish them all the luck as we come out of this thing. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Take care. Awesome. Thanks so much. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.